practices sin, doeth sin, makes sin a practice, commits sin, sins. These are just different ways that the idea of practicing sin can be found in our various Bibles. You probably weren't aware, but as I was reading our text today, three times I read practices sin. In fact, when you look at these verses, the word sin is used one way or the other ten different times. And this is not the first time that John has talked about sin in this book. In chapter 1, verse 7, all the way to chapter 2, verse 2, John talks about sin in one way or the other eight different times. What's with the statistics, you might ask? It's just really to remind us that sin is a reality. That sin is something that exists in our world. And even though our society and our world might not use the vocabulary of sin, the Bible does. The Bible speaks often about sin. The Bible in general, and obviously the passage that before, uh, is before us, talks about it in particular. There were those in John's day who would say that they weren't sinful. They would say that they did not commit particular acts of sin. There were even those who taught that there was no relationship between sinfulness and sin and righteousness. They would tell you that you could be a righteous and godly person and practice sin. I wonder what your belief is concerning practicing sin. What is your evaluation of those who make a practice of disobeying God? How do you view missing the mark in light of who God is and in light of what God has said in his word? The subject of our text is the good, the bad, and the ugly of practicing sin. We need to hear God's word. We need to hear the word of the Apostle John concerning this matter. Because all of us, one way or the other, are affected by this particular subject. And if you don't understand practicing sin... It's going to be detrimental to your life. John writes these words. He, he wants his readers to come to grips with the reality, with the truth, that practicing sin existed in his day and practicing sin also exists in all the, our day. And there are six insights that I want us to see regarding practicing sin. And I will be to the point 
on each one of these six insights. But the first thing that should be noticed about practicing sin is that practicing sin is also practicing lawlessness. John speaks of the reality that sin can be practiced, that sin can be continually done. He begins verse 4 by saying, in speaking of a person who practices sin, that it's their lifestyle. It's their day in and day out to miss the mark. That's what sin is. Sin misses the mark of God's bullseye. God has a standard. He has a bullseye that he has given us in his word on how we are to live and how we are to walk and how we are to talk and how we are to think. When we miss that bullseye, we have sinned. And John speaks of the reality that there are certain individuals who actually practice sin. They commit sin on an ongoing basis. And he wants us to be aware of that reality. We should not have our head buried in the sand and think that sin cannot be practiced continually by an individual. But John also wants us to see the wretchedness of sin. We we often have a a very light view of sin. We often don't take sin seriously. But in this verse, John is speaking of the wretchedness of sin. He, He says when a person misses the mark, when a person sins, it's not a mistake It's not something that is insignificant. John says to practice sin is to practice lawlessness. And this is one of the briefest definitions of sin in the Bible. A person, if they want to know what sin is, John says sin is lawlessness. It's not a mistake. It's not a slip. It's not an accident. It's not just human nature. But John raises the state and says that when we sin, we have done that which is lawless. Sin is rebellion against God. God has a standard. God has a law. And when we sin, we break that law. We rebel against God's standard. We say, God, your authority does not matter in my life. Sin is not some little cute thing. Sin is rebellion. Sin is lawlessness. It's acting as if God has not given any standards or any guidelines on how to live. And we need to see sin that way so that we in our own individual lives don't even want to sin once. The the, the problem is our view of sin is so light that that we can sit in church and and sin. We we can sin in our thoughts. We we can sin uh, with our words. 
And we don't think it's a big deal. We can come into a church building with sin in our lives. We can leave with that same sin in our lives. And we oftentimes minimize sin. And John is saying that sin is lawlessness. The next time you're tempted and you might choose to sin, understand what you're choosing to do. Understand that you are raising your fists in the face of Almighty God and saying, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Sin is lawlessness. And everyone, no exceptions, who practices sin practices lawlessness. Doesn't matter how good you might think you are. Doesn't matter how good people say you are. If you miss the mark, you're doing more than just missing the bullseye. You are rebelling against God. Sin is lawlessness. A second insight that John gives us concerning practicing sin is that practicing sin undermines the appearance of Christ. When we come to verse 5, John talks about the fact that Christ appeared. Last Sunday, the subject of the sermon was when he appears. And we talked about the reality that Jesus Christ is coming again. We don't know the exact time he can come at any moment, but when he appears, we are commanded to abide in Christ. We are commanded to meditate on God's love. We are told to purify ourselves. And we talked about that second coming of Christ when he appears. But in verse 5, John alludes to the fact that Christ has appeared. He's not looking in the future. He's looking in the past. And he says that Christ has appeared. And he wants his readers to know and understand. And in reality, he said, you do know. You know that when he appeared, he appeared for a particular reason, for a particular goal. And what was that? He appeared to take away sins. He appeared. He was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. He was born on Christmas Day. He lived a perfect life. He was killed on Calvary's cross. He was buried. He arose from the dead and ascended back to heaven. He appeared. He burst on the scene. Why? For what purpose? For what goal? To show us how to live? No, he, he, he appeared in order that he might take away sins. He came the first time to deal with the sin problem. And the implication is that you're sinful, I'm sinful, we have committed sins, every human being has committed sins. And Jesus came, he left heaven's glory into this world, 
and lived a perfect life to deal with the sin problem. To deal with the sin problem. Practicing sin undermines why Jesus came, why he appeared. John the Baptist saw Jesus one day. In John 1.29, he says, Behold, behold the Lamb of God. He didn't call him Jesus. He didn't call him Christ. He said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John understood that Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. The apostle John here says he came to take away the sins of the world. Your sins, my sins. Not just to pay the penalty for our sins, but to take away the practice of sin in your life, in my life. That's why he came. And John goes on to say, That in Jesus, there is no sin. That's the only reason he's qualified to take away sins. Because in him, John says right now, in him, there is no sin. You can go back in history and look at the beginning of his life to the time he died on the cross. There is no sin. You can go as far forward as you want to go. There is no sin. Our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was sinless. But but the fact that he had to come and the fact that he died on the cross for us to take away sin lets us see how devastating and how powerful sin is. To, To deal with the sin problem. Animal sacrifices were not enough. To deal with the sin problem, coming to church is not enough. Reading your Bible is not. It took the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to deal with the sin problem. God in human flesh had to come to deal with the sin problem. Don't ever take sin lightly. Don't don't ever take that evil thought in your mind lightly and think it's no big deal. That evil thought, that one and that one alone brought Jesus from heaven to earth. And as we sung, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. The, The Lord Jesus Christ appeared. To deal with sin. Practicing sin undermines it, undercuts the very goal, the very purpose why he came. As we continue looking at our text concerning the good, the bad, and the ugly of practicing sin. Please note that practicing sin indicates no relationship with Christ. It says clearly that the one who practices sin, that person does not have a relationship with Christ. Look at verse 6, because verse 6 in some ways can be troublesome. It can cause people to go astray. But notice what John writes. No one, again, no exceptions, 
No one who abides in him sins. Now, again, last Sunday, we talked about abiding in Christ, continuing in Christ, remaining in Christ. Positionally, we're in Christ. We are to make that our practice. We are to make sure that there's nothing between me, my soul, and the Savior. I am to get rid of anything and everything that would hinder me from having that intimate, close relationship with Christ. And now John says that the one who obeys that command, the one who abides in Christ, the abider, the the one who's working hard at making sure there's nothing between him and the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes the statement that the one who abides in him does not sin. No one who abides in him sins. Now that ought to cause each and every one of us to be a little bit troubled. Because I sure am trying to abide in Christ. This past week I've been thinking long about making sure there's nothing between my soul And the Savior. And John is saying that if I am an abider, if I'm obeying the command, that no one who abides in Christ sins. Now, some of you have been listening to the sermons on 1 John. You know that John has already said, in chapter 1, that it is ridiculous and foolish for a person to say that they're not sinful. We're sinful. And to deny that is tragic. The response to the fact that we're sinful is what? We confess our sins and we forsake our sins. John even got on people's case who said that they have not sinned in the past. He he said, you make God a liar. And then in chapter 2, he says, look, I'm writing to you. I I, I don't want you to sin even once. But if you do sin, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians who are striving to abide in Christ. He says, if you do sin, you have a paraclete, you have a helper, you have one who's the propitiation for your sins. So in John's understanding of the Christian life, Christians do sin. Even Christians who abide in Christ sin. But when you abide in Christ, when you are a Christian, you do not practice sin. You do not continue in sin. Now John will talk more about that in verse 9, and I'll just leave you hanging until we get to verse 9. But the point that is made here, that John says that no one who abides in Christ sins. And then he goes a step further. He says at the last part of verse 6, no one who sins, and again is practicing sin, continuing sin, has seen Christ or knows him. 
Now, now, now hear John well. John says, uh, if you practice sin, I don't care what you say. I don't care what comes out of your mouth. I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care how much you sing, how much you pray. If you practice sin, then you have not seen Christ, nor do you know him. And that's just a fancy way of saying that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. The person who continually sins, the person who practices sins, regardless of what they might say, that person has not seen Christ with the eyes of faith. Because none of us have seen him literally. I hope you don't tell me that you have, because I'll tell you you're crazy. I would tell you on the basis of Scripture that no one has seen God at any time. No one has seen Christ with the eyes of faith. And John said, the one who sins, that one, has not seen Christ. And that one does not have an experiential knowledge of Christ. If you're a Christian, you know Christ. You might not know too many things about him, but you know that he's your Lord and Savior. You know that he came and died on the cross for your sin. You know that you've been cleansed and washed by the blood of the Lamb. But, but John says if you practice sin, you haven't seen Christ with the eyes of faith, and you do not know him. And so you need to understand that practicing sin indicates no relationship with Christ. Let me move on. John's not finished. There's some few other things that he wants to say. He says practicing sin, the thing that he wants us to understand about practicing sin is that practicing sin is of the devil. Okay? Practicing sin is of the devil. And John says don't be fooled by that. Don't be tricked by that truth. And so he says in verses 7 and verses 8, he begins by saying, little children, that is, he, he, he speaks to them tenderly and affectionately. And he says to them, little children, those who are precious to me, John says, let no one deceive you. John is giving a command to his readers, and he's saying, readers, I don't want anyone to deceive you. You must not be deceived. You must not be tricked. You must not be duped. You must not be hoodwinked. You must not allow the wool to be pulled over your eyes. Concerning what? What? Concerning the fact of who is righteous. Don't be deceived about who is righteous. He says in verse 7, the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Get, Get that fixed in your mind. You want to know who's righteous? It's the one who 
practices righteousness. Not the one who talks it. Not the one who sings it. Not the one who preaches it. But the one who practices it. That is, does it. They understand that God's righteous standards are in his word. And they don't just pretend and play with the word of God. They practice righteousness. And John says, if you practice righteousness, then you are righteous. And your righteousness is a reflection of the fact that Christ is righteous. Don't be deceived about that, my friend, because today, even today, People are trying to mislead us and deceive us into thinking that you can be righteous without practicing righteousness. That that you can be righteous just because you come to church. That you are righteous just because you have a Bible. That's deception. That's being misled. You're going to burst hell wide open if that's what you believe. It's those who practice, who do it, whose life is characterized by righteousness. Those are the ones who are righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. And we have people telling us today, it doesn't matter how you live. Sin is no big deal. Let's do whatever you want to do. You know something is sin? Ah, do it. God will forgive you. And John is saying, don't be duped. Don't be hoodwinked. Don't be tricked into thinking that a person who practices sin is righteous. It just ain't so. He goes on to say in verse 8, Don't be deceived about who is of the devil. I know we don't like language like that. Talk about somebody being of the devil. We we don't mind saying the devil made me do it. But don't you dare say I'm of the devil. That I originate and that the source of who I am is the devil. But don't argue with me. Look at what John says in verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. I I didn't make that up. He's the one that is saying that the person who continually and ongoing practices sin, that person originates, that person is sourced by the devil himself. Earlier, John referred to the devil as the evil one, but now he's the diabolical one. And he says that individuals can be of the devil, and the individuals who are of the devil are those who practice sin. Why? John, how can you say that? He says, because the devil has sinned from the beginning. He talks about the nature of the devil, the character of the devil. The devil, whole career, is that of sinning. And you can go back in time in history when the devil chose to rebel against God 
when he lifted himself up in pride and said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And God says, you won't. Not in my presence. And the devil became a fallen angelic being. A demon is how we refer to him. But the devil has sinned from the beginning. Trace his history. There he is in the garden, misleading Adam, etc. He has sinned from the beginning. And the point that John wants us to understand is that the devil, he's the originator of those who practice sin. He's the first example of it. And John says that the devil has sinned from the beginning. And what a dark, dark picture is true of our world because of the work of the devil. When you look at our world, it's depressing to turn on the news. Because every time you turn on the news, there's not good news. It's all bad news. This is going on here. This is going on there. That is going on over there. But, but, but our world, if we're honest with ourselves, is filled with sin. It's filled with the work of the devil. But the good news is that in the midst of all of this darkness, John tells us at the end of verse 8, the Son of God appeared. Not will appear, but appeared, going back to the first coming of Christ, coming, going back to his incarnation. And he appeared. For what purpose? For what goal? John says he appeared in order to destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil are all around us. We see it coming from the devil himself. We see it coming from demons. We see it coming from people who are practicers of sin. The works of the devil. When you see nation warring against nation, that's the work of the devil. When you see a a world and a society that's filled with pornography, sex trafficking, that's the work of the devil. And the Lord Jesus Christ appeared so that he could destroy those works. The the, the devil's work is to cause people to practice sin. Jesus' work is to cause people to practice righteousness and thus destroy the works of the devil. You want to know how the works of the devil can be destroyed? Put your faith and your trust in Christ alone. Repent of your sin. Believe in the gospel. God will save you. And Jesus Christ will start to demonstrate in your life righteousness. And what you will see is that the works of the devil, the works that the devil wants to see in your life and my life will be destroyed. That's why he came. He didn't come so that we would be slaves to sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. 
And so John tells us point blank, practicing sin is of the devil. Then in verse 9, he makes a statement that I'm glad about. It's related to practicing sin, but he says in verse 9 that practicing sin is impossible for the one born of God. Can I say that again? Practicing sin is impossible for the one born of God. I didn't say the one who's a super saint. I didn't say the one who's died and gone to heaven. I said the one born of God, the one who is a child of God. Notice what John says. No one, no exceptions here. No one who is born of God practices sin. And again, I know that makes you feel uneasy. You say, well, maybe I'm not born of God. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Maybe that's why John is using such language like this. But but again, make sure you understand what he's saying. He doesn't say that you and I don't sin. Because otherwise, throw 1 John 1, 9 out the Bible. That says, confess and forsake your sin. Christian, throw out your First uh, John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, where it talks about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins. Now, here is the reality of practicing sin. And, and you got to get this etched in your mind because that's what he's highlighting in these verses. Practicing sin, continuing in sin, doing sin, committing sin on a regular basis. The one born of God doesn't do that. The one born of God does not make sin his or her career. That's what's true of the devil. He sinned from the beginning. He has never stopped. He has never paused to confess his sins or to forsake his sins. The, the, the devil has never stopped or paused to say, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of salvation. I'm in need of God. And so the person who practices sin is a person who doesn't confess and forsake sin. They live day in and day out. And they don't bother coming before God and acknowledging their sinfulness and their sinful acts. The person who practices sin, there has never ever been a time in that person's life where they're falling down on their face and recognize their wretchedness, recognize the fact that they're unholy and that they're in need of salvation and turn to Christ for salvation. They haven't done that. That's the one who practices sin. And John says, no one who is born of God practices sin, continues in sin. Why? Because God's seed abides in him. He's using seed, sperm, but but in a sense related to God, that when God saves us, his seed 
is put in us. His DNA, so to speak, is put in us. The new divine principle is put in us. And that's why the person doesn't practice sin. And if you think that's a hard one to grab hold of, John goes on to say that person cannot sin. It's an impossibility for the one who is born of God to sin. Why? Because he's been born of God. He has a new life principle that makes it impossible to go on day in, day out sinning. My friends, if you look at your life and you are practicing sin, then that means you don't take time in prayer to confess your sin and to forsake your sin. It means that you have never, ever stopped and asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. That it cannot be said of you what was said in 1 John 2, verse 12, that your sins have been forgiven. John paints his pictures in black and white. He does. We like the gray areas. You want to say, oh, well, today I did a little practicing of sin. Tomorrow I didn't. John doesn't allow us to get comfortable like that. It's either you practice righteousness or you practice sin. It's either or. It's not both and. And so as we come to the end of these verses, the last thing that I want you to see concerning practicing sin is that practicing sin reveals one spiritual father. In John's mind, there's only two categories with regards to mankind. Either, as he says in verse 10, you're the children of God or you're the children of the devil. It's one or the other. There is no wiggle room there. Uh, There is no straddling of the fence. It's either or. And John says, I'll give you the paternity test that will make it clear who's your daddy. Now, that's what he says here. By this, here's the paternity test. And this test is always 100% accurate. And what is the test? He says in verse 10, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. You might think I'm some kind of harsh preacher. You might think I should be saying, oh, God loves you and cares for you. I'm just preaching the text. And John is saying, here's the paternity test. The one who does not practice ongoing, repeatedly righteousness is not of God. And as we saw earlier, he's of the devil. 
And if that's not enough, John said, let me add just one more part to the paternity test. The one who does not love his brother is not of God. Mm, That's a little bit closer to home, isn't it? You know, your brother, your sister, the one you don't really want to see at church, the one you think you can hide from and skirt from, the one you can talk about and then say, I I love everybody. John says, when you don't practice righteousness, when you don't love your Christian brother or sister, you're not born of God. You're not of God. God is not your daddy. The devil is. So what should we do with these six insights concerning practicing sin? First of all, we need to learn the good, the bad, and the ugly concerning practicing sin. But another thing that we should learn from this and should respond to is that when we understand practicing sin from God's point of view, it ought to compel the children of God to not want to sin even once. You see, John says that the one born of God cannot practice sin. So if you are truly born of God, if I am truly born of God, I can't practice sin. And I might just walk away from this sin. I'm okay. But that would be to miss the fact that he writes this to Christians. He writes this to those who are in the faith. He wants them to learn and understand about practicing sin, even though it's impossible for them to do it, that they cannot do it. So what is he trying to get at? He's trying to help us to realize that there are compelling reasons why we should never, ever want to sin. Isn't that what John wrote in chapter 2, verse 1? My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin even once. And that ought to be our heart attitude, that we don't want to sin even once. And if we would remember these compelling reasons, these statements about practicing sin, it will hinder us from taking sin lightly and will hinder us from doing an act of sin. So the next time you're tempted, remember that practicing sin is lawlessness. Remember that practicing sin or committing a sin really undermines the appearance of Christ. Remember that practicing sin indicates you have no relationship with Christ. Remember that practicing sin is of the devil. Remember that it's impossible for a Christian born of God to practice sin. And remember that 
practicing sin determines who your spiritual father is. Don't skirt the emphasis of this passage and think, well, I'm a Christian. I can't practice sin. That's true. You can't. But as a Christian, you can commit acts of sin. And if you understand what practicing sin is, it will compel you not to want to sin at all. Knowing that we will sin, but our heart's desire ought to be that we do not want to sin at all. Because sin is ugly. Sin is devastating. Sin required the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to deal with the sin problem. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that we might understand and learn the good, the bad, and the ugly of practicing sin. And that these insights will be things that we etch in our minds. And Father, may you use these insights about practicing sin to help us to not commit sin even once as Christians. Thank you for the new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came to take away sins and to destroy the works of the devil. Thank you, Father, that your seed abides in us, that we cannot sin if we're genuine Christians. Thank you for all that you've done for us. But Lord, help us to see sin the way that you do, that it is ugly, that it is a transgression, that it is us raising our fists in your face and saying no. May we dare not choose to sin. Keep us from sin. Keep us holy. Keep us living for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.